Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. We also targeted um, how competition, or, you know, we targeted some retail stores like Bye Bye Baby. We targeted some people uh, looking for car seats. seats. So there was a lot of shots in the dark. Um, A lot of them didn't bring the result we were expecting. But fortunately enough, uh, a few of them did brought back uh, some some. like major leads and 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 sales. Hey, my name is Felix. And I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week, we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to create ads to promote a product video, how to launch a product to customers that don't know they need it, and how to pick and choose compromises when negotiating with big manufacturers. Today, I'm joined by Eric and Sabina from OneKid.com. That's O-N-E-K-I-D.com. OneKid designs and sells outerwear for kids that is both functional and fun and was started in 1999 and based out of Westport, Connecticut. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Felix. Hello, Felix. Hello. So, yeah, tell us a bit more about your business and some of the the, the outerwear, the products that you sell. Okay, well, um, so like you just mentioned, my name is Eric and my wife uh, is uh, Sabine. We uh, we are uh, ex employees from Adidas, and you know, back in 1999, we kindly, you know, we uh, quitted our job and started uh, One Kid LLC. That's back in 1999. Basically, you know, the same whole kind of uh, things where, like, you have a you have a kids, and you know, you're kind of tired of uh, corporate life. So we started a, a kids a kids line. We had a boy, so we start we. For the first uh, three, four years uh, early on, we only did uh, a boy collections, um, and right, and then we introduced uh, the the girl Girls, collections yes. uh, three, four years later. later yes. Everything went well. We we uh, only sold to wholesales, uh, mom and pop stores, department stores, um, catalogs. catalogs. So it was really a, a business to business exclusively at the time. The business was quite good until uh, um, 2008 when pretty much everything hit the fan. Um, we had, prior to that, we had an office uh, here in the Fairfield area. We um, had employees. We, ha- we were running our own warehouse. And as the business started to turn sour after 2008, we needed to sort of regroup. So we... Um, we started working with a third-party warehouse, uh, which was located in Boston. Uh, we moved. We had to, unfortunately, we had to uh, let our people go. We moved uh, the business to our garage, um, and and we've been running the, this business in, in our garage ever since after 2008. So we've been here uh, for like uh, ten, ten years. Or, or like almost 10 years we've been doing it out of our garage. Wow, okay, so let's talk a little bit about this, uh, the beginning. So you both had uh, jobs already, full-time jobs, started raising a family, and that was the kind of catalyst that made you want to uh, start your own business. Was it because you wanted the, the time, the independence? Like, what were you looking for by starting a business? Well, I think we were looking for more like independence, you know, I, I think that we were, 
very, very motivated to, uh, you know, make a difference in the kids' markets by bringing a great, good-looking and functional product. And I think also that we, you know, we just wanted to be really to become independent, you know, we we really wanted to start our own business. Did you? Did I? You have experience in apparel at that time? Uh, yeah. Yes. yes. Um, um, we we like I just mentioned, we we came from Adidas, uh, which is an apparel and footwear company, uh, sports of apparel footwear company. So, and we, we used to work there for like many years, uh, like over ten years. Uh, Sabine, um, my wife, she was the head of apparel design. Uh, when when we did that, and I was uh, I was running a part of their footwear operations. Very cool. So, what kind of advantages were you able to get from having this kind of industry, the industry experience? What did you think helped you from your your day jobs? Helped you the most in starting your own business? Well, I have to tell you, Felix, the most advantage we had was our connection oh, with. Factories in Asia. Um, yeah, I, I used to I used to work in Asia. I, I lived uh, in in the Faris for about five years, so I had a lot of connection uh, on my own. Sabine, with the apparel uh, design and development, she also uh, knew a lot of uh, uh, factories yes. in Asia. And and really, I mean, the biggest advantage that we had when we started our own company was our connection. Uh, with uh, with manufacturing, mm-hmm. and were they were these manufacturers that uh, I'm assuming were uh, ready, very ready and willing to work with a big apparel company like Adidas? Were they still as ready to work with a you know relatively new startup that you guys were starting? Well, it's a very very interesting and very good question because uh, that might as well be our uh, biggest challenge. You see, at the time, since business was booming pretty much everywhere, the the the, the factories didn't mind, you know, working with uh, uh, with us as new because they sort of knew us. But their minimum quantity was quite high, um, and especially coming from those factories that were working with uh, a bigger uh, company like Nike or Adidas, Reebok, uh, they were accustomed to pretty big quantities. So. You know, for 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 us, of course, we was we were not able to reach those quantities, so we had to negotiate quite hard with them, and we were sort of forced uh, early on to to buy some inventory which we were not too happy about. Mm. Okay, so let's tell us a little bit more about this. I think there's a similar situation a lot of uh, businesses are in, which is that they want to work with manufacturers, but there's just high minimum order quantities that you're talking about, which then requires a lot of negotiations. Tell us a little bit more about this negotiation process. What kind of tips do you have to offer for other folks that are in this position where they have to negotiate around these minimum, minimum order quantities? Well, I think that you know, if if we can, if you can, the, the best advantage is really the relationship. If you can form a relationship, a personal relationship, with uh, with the factory, um, you, you know, we we going to the forest uh, not often anymore, but we we used to, um, and we also had like uh, you know the factory owner coming over to us and. And and trying to form uh, you know a personal relationship uh, is very important. Um, I, I think that once you are able to uh, talk with um, a factory owner one on one and and tell him, look, you know, we need you to be on our side because it's uh, you know it's a brand new venture for us, 
and hopefully we're gonna we're gonna grow and and bring some decent business. You know, m- most most of I mean I think not most all of them are are willing to, you know, help you at the beginning. But uh, somehow after I would say maybe three, four, five years, you need to show them that uh, that the business uh, sort of like increase. Mm-hmm. If the, if the business does not increase, then they become um, m- more and more um, strong on pricing, on quantities, on delivery. You know, you don't get the priority uh, any any longer with uh, f- factory space. So, I mean, often enough, if you don't have the choice, then you, you're sort of forced to move on to somebody else, to another supplier. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that these uh, these decision makers at these factories and manufacturers, they're probably super busy, right? Because they have so many clients, so many prospective clients, so many relationships they have to maintain. Uh, did you experience any issues with, with, with uh, getting around that when you were trying to build this relationship with them? Because I understand you know, what you're saying about how these personal relationships matter, but then how do you get the time to get the time to, to, to speak to them when they are, I'm assuming, very busy professionals? Well, I mean, they, they are busy professionals, but, but I think they are also a very savvy uh, business people. And, and, you know, they just uh, they just want to make sure that they, they, they book time for you. I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, every business is important. Nobody can read the future. So I think, you know, it, it's also, like I said, more about relationship and respect. And I think that if... Uh, you know, if you're nice with them and uh, you you can get their attention, you know, I think I think that, uh, I mean, also you know, for us being in the East Coast um, and and working mainly with China and and uh, Macau, uh, you know, it, it's like a twenty four or twelve hours difference. So, you know, it's like long uh, long evening for us uh, staying up until like eleven midnight, one o'clock in the in the morning to be able to uh, talk or Skype or phone call with the you know business owner or marketing managers and but that that was really early on I think nowadays with um, <laughs> I know right with the email and, and mm-hmm. Skype it's uh, it's it's a lot easier and, and to communicate and, and everybody has more time to uh, communicate in their own personal time you know it's it's not uh, so it's not as direct as, as it used to be with a, with a phone call where like you needed to have somebody answering right away. Right. Now, when they when you are working with these factories and trying to get the attention of these much larger factories, what do you find that they are looking for in a partner when you don't have this kind of background, not necessarily background, but you don't have a track record for your new company uh, that shows that you are you know, have a lot of potential and you have a lot of revenue and sales coming through? Like, How do you make sure that you position yourself as an ideal partner for these factories to, to invest their time and, and energy uh, into you? Well, uh, you know, it, like I said before, I, I think it's just, um, it, it's all about like, you know, potential new business for them, potential new business for you. Uh, it's, 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 it's all about like negotiations. Uh, you know, unfortunately, if, if you're not able to bring um, you know the quantities that they require. Then, then you face to uh, maybe work around it. Uh, you know, like maybe you cannot. Uh, you're not able to do your own colors or your own print. Mm, you have mm-hmm. to maybe use something which is already existing at the factory, like a materials or, or um, you know, it's uh, it depends. And also, of course, you know, price. I mean, 
uh, you know, the factory, if they, you know, if you don't have the quantities and if you don't have what they really want, um, then, then, then you need, you know, they need to talk to you about pricing. And of course, you know, they, they're going to increase the price a little bit because of the quantity not being reaching the minimums. And it's not their fault uh, either because, you know, when we talk about uh, mass production, there is a certain amount of minimum quantity that we need to achieve with with the fabric mills. Uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna die. Uh, I think you know, a hundred or two hundred, three hundred yards of of, of fabric um, because the machine needs to have that many lengths for it to you know take the colors or the prints and whatnot. So. You know, it's not just always like, you know, me against you or them against mm. us. It's also, you know, the mathematic of, of, you know, mass production. Right. They just have numbers that they have to hit themselves. So obviously lots of compromise is involved when you are trying to start these uh, partnerships and relationships with uh, big factories, with uh, big manufacturers. Uh, so do you, was the plan, not the plan, but what do you just kind of have to live with these compromises, whether it be on price or whether it be on the, the customization of the products until you have more success and then you can return to the, uh, you know, quote unquote negotiation table and then get more of what you, what you would like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt about this. Uh, you know, we had to go through those, um, through those steps, uh, you know, to be able to uh, manufacture everything we needed to, um, you know, compromising is, is part of doing business. And, and we do had to compromise quite a lot. Uh, we had to compromise on, on pricing. We had to compromise on some, you know, delivery because like, like we mentioned, our quantity not being that big, then they put us at the end or, you know, um, but the one thing we never compromise on is quality. Um, you know, that's, we have a, a pretty strict uh, process in product design development where every uh, stage of the uh, product when it's being built, uh, we make sure we, we have a total control of, on quality and, and we know um, we know all the ingredients that goes into our product. So, you know, compromising is one thing. You can compromise. Sometimes you do have to compromise a lot, but, uh, you know, the quality and the uh, integrity of the product, uh, that we never compromised on. Mm. Now, how, how do you pick and choose what you can compromise on? What do you, how do you pick and choose what you can kind of live with? Uh, you know, obviously, quantity was never on the table for you guys. But then how, when, when it came down to it, how did you decide, okay, we can live with this versus we cannot live with this? It's, it's, it's about, you know, it's about like it's about balancing your needs versus the need of, of the factory. I, I mm -hmm. think that, you know, um, if, if, if we needed to increase the price by, say, 30 or 40 cents because we're not reaching the quantity, if we needed to maybe, um, you know, buy the, uh, the, the fabric at the mill directly because or, or pay uh, upcharge on the fabric, that we have to compromise because basically we have no choice. We, you know, we need to get that product done. Um, I mean, the thing which are very difficult to compromise on is, for example, the freight, you know, because we always try to bring all of our product uh, by, by oceans. Um, and if the product is late to a certain extent, we need to bring it into the air. But, um, you know, that, that 
part of the negotiation is also some sort of a contract we already have with the factory saying, okay, look, past that deadline, we need to air freight the product. So just try to make sure that we don't go past that deadline. And if we do, then, you know, normally then we have to then negotiate on our hand with the factory to say, look, guys, you know, you've been late a certain amount of days or week and you're forcing us to bring this uh, by hair instead of ocean or that portion of the production by hair, um, you know, we need you to help us uh, pay for it. So, and, you know, the factory wanting to keep relationship uh, in any case, um, they normally apply to that. They just, you know, they either, um, you know, pay for the effort or part of it. Mm-hmm. So when you guys were, I, I want to talk about the the red code a little bit later, but uh, that sounds like your most successful product these days. But back when you first started, what were you selling? What were the first kind of um, what was in the catalog for for the the store early on? Well, we started out with boys, and we passed we uh, we designed and developed a boys um, sportswear collection, and we had like. Um, cargo pants, but those cargo pants were, were, for example, fleece-lined, and that was one of the, I mean, that was not done before on the market in 1999, that they have, like, cargo pants with a fleece line, which mm-hmm. keeps it actually warm, and the fabric was also, was like a, a nylon fabric, so it was um, wind, water, and also stain-resistant, and then, of course, we had, like, a fleece tops we had t-shirts we had sweatshirts we had we had jackets we had like a, a whole collection from a to c we basically. had hat gloves socks short pants sweaters uh, we even had like uh, suits at one point yeah too. wow this sounds like you know you were launching with a lot of products right off the bat did you feel like it made the the launch process uh, much more difficult yeah. yes but i mean with i mean coming from from Adidas, I mean, I, we were just used to to handling a lot of SKUs, you know. So for us, it was just like a normal mm-hmm. thing to do to launching all of those different products. Right. Now, how long did it take from starting the, the company to getting your first uh, production run of products? Well, it took us, I think, it took us like a year until we, uh, we you know, we started um, designing our first uh, collection and, uh, try, you know, f- uh, getting somebody to um, manufacture off. We started with a factory which were located in Macau. Um, and, it, yeah, it took, took us about like, I would say, maybe a little bit under a year, 10 months. Mm-hmm. Now, were you already getting orders from these uh, these wholesale clients of yours at this at the time, or were you waiting to get that first production run before trying to go out and selling the products? No, you know, Felix, what we did, we did uh, a set of uh, samples, and and uh, I think uh, the first year, Sabine and I went to a trade show uh, in uh, New York City. We had a little booth all the way at the end of of the uh, of the trade show. Um, and we were quite happy because we had a pretty good show, as I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had we had like a, a, a printed T-shirt with a, a diagonal print, which was a kind of a hit at, the, at that trade show that that day. Or and uh, we we got uh, we got quite a quite a quite a few orders. We were very happy. We were very psyched. Um, and and after that, we also during that show and after the subsequent shows, we got approached 
by sales agencies, sales rep. And so later on, um, you know, we had um, showrooms in, we had a showroom in New York, in Boston, Chicago, Atlanta, Los Angeles, um, Boston, if I did not Mm -hmm. mention it before, and of course, New York City Mm -hmm. as well. Nice. So these um, these uh, examples, these samples that you you had created, this was prior to getting the the first uh, production run. Yes, of course. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So you had these samples and decided to go to trade show first, just to see if you can generate these sales. And it sounds like things uh, were took off very quickly for you guys. Um, now, were were you when you, the orders started coming in? Were you guys just taking any and all orders, or how did you decide who you should be working with when you uh, after the success at the trade show? Well, um, you know, at the trade show, uh, we, uh, of course, took orders and everything. But, uh, you know, before the selling season ends, uh, we need to uh, send the production orders to our factory. So, um, you know, say if the selling season lasts for three months, uh, within one and a half months, we needed to send production, uh, the bulk production to the factory. So... After one and a half months, we needed to look back at the collection and say, okay, so, you know, this color is not really selling, doesn't get doesn't get received very well, so we need to, you know, remove that from the collection. So, you know, uh, after a period of time, um, you know, we kind of weeded a little bit uh, the offering and um, we needed to place the production. So that's when... The forecasting comes in in place, and we need to go and forecast and make the buy. And after after that, then you know your sales goals are a little bit more focused because since you know what you bought, then you can kind of gear the uh, the sales people and the showrooms to uh, try to sell what you've bought, which is you know it's always a guess, and and you know ninety nine percent of the time it's unfortunately not such accurate uh, guess so we left with inventory we you know we didn't buy enough of what we should have bought more and so it's it's been very complicated and very stressful process mm-hmm. uh, and I definitely want to talk about forecasting in, in a bit uh, before we get there you mentioned that this trade show that you're at you guys were tucked away in a corner all the way in the back but still had lots of success coming out of this show what do you think contributed to that how were you able to generate that kind of success even though you weren't you know weren't giving a great placement at the trade show well I think like Sabine mentioned you know we came into the marketplace uh, back in those days with with new product uh, c- coming from um, coming from Adidas uh, and and working, you know, uh, Sabine and I did work with some world athletes, and and we sort of like approached the collection at the time like kids being an athletes, and and we created a, f- a functional product, uh, like she mentioned, you know, the um, the cargo pant with the you know a polo fleece lining. Um, you know, we, we had all sort of product which were geared a little bit more into um, assuming that kids are like a little athletes, you know. So everything was functional. Everything was um, – and our quality was, you know, is really good. And so I guess that's how, you know, people at the show started saying, hey, go, go, go all the way at the end. There is that little boost there. Those new people, they – Looks like they know what they're doing. They have very interesting new design, and you know, pretty much everything is functional. Mm, so obviously, a great product. 
uh, had a big contribution, big impact on that kind of success. Any any um, tips on actually how to work a trade show or how to set up a booth to make sure that you're able to display a you know a great product like yours in your case? Well, yeah, yeah. I, to, to, you know, to, there is rule and regulation for each each trade show, so you're not really able to like you know plant a, a, a mannequin in the middle of the aisle. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, you know, a good lighting is good. You know, you have to have it's it's it pays off to pay for extra light in the booth. I think that's important. Um, if you have good lifestyle posters, pictures uh, to put on the wall, that is good. That attracts uh, you know, I mean, people because people goes to the trade show. They they walk, walk slowly and they they look left and they look right. So you really need to try to get the attentions, you know, with mm-hmm. maybe bright colors or fluffy things or whatever you do, uh, try to showcase that as much as you can. Gotcha. Now, you mentioned that a sales agency started approaching you. Was this right after that first trade show? Yes, it was. Yeah. Great. Now, sales agencies, these are, this is, I think, pretty new for a lot of listeners. Not a lot of companies that, that come on the show talk about working with sales agencies. Tell us a little bit more about this. How do you work with a sales agency? Uh, well, sales agency, they are, um, you know, they are like, um, for us at the time, they were like a, a, a needed evil, let's say, um, you know, mm-hmm. be, you know, you need to work with them because they have contact with, uh, the with the stores. Um, but it's very difficult because we always work with a sales uh, agency who represented uh, multiple line. So, you know, again, this is the same game. Like when they bring a new collection, they showcase it a lot because they hope that it's going to bring a lot of sales into their showroom. And if that's the case, then that's great. If it's not the case, then, you know, they're going to, you know, take the collection and put it at the end of the showroom and start not showing it uh, sometimes. Um, We we had that happen. with some territories, um, you know, one thing which was very interesting to me, and it's really still a, a big questions to 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 me, <clears throat> is that for for a territory, say like, for example, in you know Atlanta, we had like eighty mom and pop stores, and we would move from one showroom to another showroom. Mind you, that those showrooms are in the same building. You know, you would think that if we have 80 store and we bring it to a different showroom, we would carry those 80 store to that new business. But in fact, it's not really the case. You know, even though we would give our account list to the new sales rep, they would um, they would not do business with a lot of our old accounts. Mm. And and it's only after a certain of time that I understood that a lot of mom and pop stores they go shop to a certain showroom. They don't necessarily follow a collection moving from one showroom to another to mm-hmm. another, uh, but they go to that that showroom, which has been servicing their retail store for many years, and they're going to do like a one-stop shop and, and go to that one showroom and buy all their dress, and they're going to go to another showroom where they're going to buy all their... I don't know what they carry, like, a, <clears throat> you know, they carry pillowcase or different product. That's where they're going to go get. So it was very interesting, Felix, to see that moving from one showroom to another would not necessarily generate additional sales, but sometimes maybe even, you know, less 
less sales based on the popularity of the showroom. Yeah, that, that's interesting then. So what did you do when you did have to make these changes from showroom to showroom or to different sales agencies and now you had previous clients that that just weren't interested in moving with you to these new new showrooms? Yeah, it's, it's, a very, it's a very difficult. It, it's really um, something which... You know, we cannot. You know, we, we would call the, the the stores and say, "How come you're not buying the line?" And and, and what you know, what 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 did we do? And basically, mm-hmm. the answer is like, you know, no, he didn't do anything wrong. But I just go to that one showroom to buy my collection, and since you're not there, then I'm, you know, so there there is not um, there was not really a, you know at the time there was not really very much loyalty into the brand, mm-hmm. but more into who represented the brand. Sales agency back in those days uh, were very, very important. They still are very important, but I think that, um, you know, with the rise of of the internet and and online stores like, um, you know, Zulili's and and Rulala's, and Mm -hmm. I think that uh, stores and and retail stores and and, um, sales agencies are, are uh, you know they have a hard time now. Right now, are you no longer going to these uh, showrooms and working with these sales agencies anymore? No, we don't. We don't. We we don't. So this this came from the, your transition, right? That you mentioned earlier from wholesale now over to more direct to consumer. Yes, absolutely. Gotcha. Okay, so let's talk about this. What was that experience like? Well, maybe we'll start with why that transition. Why transition from what was working already in the past the, through this wholesale business? Like you're saying, business was doing very well. 2008 came around and was the kind of uh, essentially economic uh, decline. Was that the reason for you wanting to to make that switch? Tell us about that process. After 2008, uh, our business started to slow down um, pretty much every season. Um, and we would not understand why because, you know, the collection was still great. But we, we, we always did the show in New York City. Um, we always went there. The other shows that we had our sales rep doing it. And that show uh, in New York City, we we saw it dwindling down. I mean, uh, to at one point when we did it last last year, last January, it was a year ago actually. Um, you know, there was almost like it was very difficult to uh, locate any any buyers. Really, it was. You there know, were basically more vendors there than buyers. Wow. Right. So so. Um, you know, a year after year, our business went down to the point where, like, you know, we say, okay, so, you know, for us, in order to survive, you know, we cannot longer make T-shirts and 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 little polo shirt because the price point is is uh, is is too low to work with uh, with retails, and you know, you need you need quantities, and and at one at that point, we didn't have the quantity any anymore, so we decided to go. And concentrate on doing only outerwear, which is a you know like a much bigger uh, price point, um, a uh, higher price point, and and of course the margins are, are better. So that's what we did for about what three or four years, mm-hmm. five years. Mm-hmm. We only did outerwear in the same um, same uh, concept that we did before with you know with building a collection, building samples, sending samples to the to the salesman, to different showrooms and whatnot, and, and gathering orders, and at one point doing the forecasting, playing, placing the productions, and 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 you know getting the, getting the production and all that stuff, and then even that uh, you know was starting to decline. So, mm. um, you know, we we had to go 
I mean, really, I mean, also we had stores, Felix, um, that used to buy like, they, they would buy like $20,000 worth of merchandise from us, you know, and then, you know, they would give us their credit card and, you know, we would just tell them, we'd call them before we ship and charge my credit card and whatnot, not a problem. A lot of those stores at, toward the end were like, you know, they were buying like $2,000 from us and, oh, and, and, uh, and, and they would say, you know, Eric, can, can you please charge like $500? You know, this week and five hundred dollars in three weeks, and another five hundred dollars in eight weeks from now. It's tough, and and lo- we saw a lot of uh, retailers going out of business. Mm, so you saw these retailers feel that that crunch, that squeeze, and then it started impacting your business. Now, do you do you think that are you saying that you think that you would have been better protected if you were selling direct to consumer rather than uh, going wholesale during this uh, decline? Yeah, we think so. We just didn't know how to because uh, mm-hmm. that was not the best. That that was not our experience. Uh, <clears throat> we had we had totally no clue. We we had a, we had um, a website, but that website was totally neglected. You know, we took the pictures um, and slapped the picture on the web and kind of forget about it. And maybe once in a while, we would have one order from somebody who stumbled into our website. We didn't know how. Uh, but that was not our priority, and, and not only it was not our priority, but you know we come maybe from a different generation where it was not we didn't know how to. Uh, you know we 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 are big fan of um, Shark Tank, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. we used to watch Shark Tank, and you know you had those entrepreneurs that came on Shark Tank, and and they would tell those sharks that they have <clears throat> you know three hundred thousand dollars or a million or one point. Two million dollars in sales, and they only do that online. And and Sabine and I, we looked at each other, and it's like, how do they do that? Mm. How <laughs> can they possibly make that much money selling online? I mean, you know, we had a, a web store, a web store, but but we would get like crumples. We would get nothing. We would just right. get you no. Know, so we didn't know how to do, uh, you know, how how to approach that business at all. Now, now before you, you explain how that, that transition for you guys, well, why do you feel like it would have been, the business would have been better protected if you were selling predominantly through e-commerce rather than uh, to these retailers? Felix, I, I don't know. No, I, I don't know. I, I, I cannot answer that question because I, I wouldn't, I, you know, I, I am not sure. We, we Like I said, we had, we didn't know that part of the business mm. at the time. So, uh, you know, I, I cannot say how our business would have been more protected simply because I had not the knowledge that I have today. Sure. Okay, so well, let's talk about this transition then. So you guys both recognize that, that there's some opportunity going on because there's so many businesses selling online. You saw, you saw it through Shark Tank that all of these businesses that were selling exclusively online, making a ton of money. Margins were obviously going to be better this way too. What were, what were your first steps towards making this transition from the wholesale business into e-commerce, which you, you're saying you had absolutely no experience uh, with selling online at that time? What was that transition like? No no experience whatsoever. And, and um, you know, it, it also started uh, like it did in 1999, New York trade show, the same show that we used to go for, you know, the past 10, 15 years. Um, Sabine, by the time she was so fed up with the treasure that she didn't want to even come. So I went by myself with my booth and, um, 
of course, there was like not that many buyers. So it takes, uh, you know, you have a lot of time to talk to your neighbor, the other um, people that show their collections. And and um, I we were uh, next to um, Fernando and Connie, um, which are from uh, Australia. from Australia, and they have a, a little line that's called Mini Treasure. And you know, I talked to them, and you know, we we strike a. a a connection pretty much right away. So, uh, you know, that evening when I came home, I told my wife, Sabine, to say, look, just come, come with me and meet those two people. You know, they, they, um, they I've talked to them. They seem to be really nice. And, and she came and we, uh, we talked with them and they, um, they, they were nice, nice, nice enough to introduce us to, to Susan, Susan Bradley, uh, from the, the social uh, sales girls, uh, which, you know, we contacted Susan, and um, she basically had like um, uh, reliable revenue uh, online courses, mm-hmm. um, which we did. Uh, that was like January of last year, and Sabine and I we uh, took uh, the laptop and we uh, listened to her podcast, we listened to her videos, we did all of this. We basically spent three months on, on no, not three months, but like one and a half months we spent on in our living room, uh, sitting on a, on a sofa and, and listening to Susan and talking about terminology. We did not know what that was, uh, was, there was a brand new business for us. Nice. So you, you were learning a ton of taking in a ton of new information. What were the first, uh, I guess, action actions that you guys took to make this transition to, to having success on online? Well, you know, um, Susan, she has a, a, a collection that's called Whisquick. So mm-hmm. we did a, a partner event with her on Facebook. Uh, she basically took some of our jacket and, and put it in a Facebook page and, <clears throat> you know, um, and, and tried to promote uh, the One Kid Outerwear this way. And, and she had a lot of uh, reaction from her follower <clears throat> asking if, um, you know, those jackets were uh, car seat safe. So, of course, some of them were because they were thin, uh, puffy, uh, packable uh, product. So they, they were like uh, safe safe for car seats. Um, but, you know, since that comments came back uh, more than once, uh, we started thinking about like, you know, uh, what's with um, the, the, the puffy coats and, and, the, and, and the car seats? We, we had no idea of the danger of, of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, at uh, the same time, the uh, NBC Today show had a segment about the danger of wearing puffy winter coats in car seats. Um, and when that aired, it actually came on my Facebook feed. You know, I, I talked to Sabina and I said, you know, we need to address that. We we totally need to, you know, figure out how to bring a solution to this. So that's how we came with the road coat. Um, and and uh, that's how the world code was really uh, came came to life, and and that's how you know um, we started doing really good with with our website. Um, we moved into Shopify back in January of last year, um, and we that's when we started putting not hundred but 120 percent of all of our effort in learning the online business learning how to market your online business, learning how to introduce the product. Um, and, and, you know, we just went full speed 
and of course we st- we still had like um, you know wholesale business. We we do some business with Saks Fifth Avenue, um, but but that was not our focus. Our focus was was Shopify, was online. How can we make this? Uh, how can we make this um, a viable business? Gotcha. So kind of recap this. So you already had an outerwear line. You partnered up with a successful e-commerce business, and through that exposure with the, through this uh, other biz, other brand, uh, We Squeak, you started getting feedback from people that wanted to know more about the safety, uh, I guess, features of that product. So did you guys then go back and and redesign uh, the outerwear to to create the road coat, or was there just different marketing? Like what were you doing from the, with that feedback? No, we we basically went back to the drawing board and and designed and engineered a coat which can be worn in the car seat mm. that was a complete diff- new product for us gotcha so now how did you launch that product because it was such a uh, it sounded like there was a, a lot of uh, discussion around uh, car seat safety and codes now you had this product that was a solution for that particular problem how do you launch a product into into the marketplace when there is some kind of like buzz around uh, people trying to find ways to solve this this problem that you had the solution for I mean we knew we had to do a video to get the message across mm. why do you feel that because I think you have to have the video, the visual, to understand what the problem is. Because a, a lot of, um, I think a lot of consumer they don't even know about the problem. Mm-hmm. About wearing a heavy puppy winter coat in the car seat can really cause uh, injuries in a in a car crash. And we knew we had to get this somehow on video to explain them first it's dangerous why it's dangerous and that we have we have that we have a solution and we needed to do this with a video because we could not do that with a with a like if it's a simple post mm, okay i like this this line of thinking you recognize that there was a problem you had a solution for it but then you felt that the 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 public didn't know that this was a problem now when you are approaching creating this video or maybe any kind of content where you're trying to sell a solution to a problem that your target customers might not know is a problem, what do you do? Do you spend most of the time talking about the problem? Do you talk spend more time talking about the solution? Like how do you design, I guess, the content, in your case, this video? Well, I think, Felix, you know, the, the first thing that we need to do, we need to make sure that our product worked. So we did um, several uh, independent uh, crash tests um, with... Um, you know, with with the code, you know, with some dummies, and we did side by side crash tests with, you know, a dummy wearing the road code, a dummy not wearing a road code, um, a dummy wearing a normal uh, puff, heavy, heavy, heavy puffy coat. Yeah. So we had all of those data um, that proved to us that the product that we had b- brought a better solution to car seat safety and puffy and wearing jackets. Um, um, you know, so so, and we also work with uh, a lot of uh, CPST. Those are like car passengers, safety technicians, mm-hmm. uh, instructors. Um, you know, we so b- before prior we launched the product, we did uh, a, a, some a lot of research on our own to make sure that you know the product that we created was I, I was actually a benefit to um, you know to the car seat safety. Um, 
and, and their puffy jackets. Right. Now, this sounds like a pretty big investment, creating this video, doing all this testing. Do you remember how much you had to invest in in all of this uh, preparation and then also in the creating the content itself? Well, yeah. I mean, we had to spend quite a lot of money. The, the, <laughs> test, the tests were expensive. Um, you know, before we launched the product into the marketplace, we needed to have a patent or patent pending. Uh, because, you know, if you launch a product and you don't have a patent or patent pending, then you kind of lose your right to apply for a patent because you basically revealed your secret to everybody. So now you cannot patent it. So we had to um, to, to spend the money on that. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was at least um, 10, 10 over ten thousand dollars that we spent, Felix. Wow, okay, so this redesign to getting the patent done, to creating the, the video for the launch, how long did all of this take? Yeah, it took about six months. I mean, that sounds like a pretty quick turnaround for, for launching, redesigning a whole new product and going through this entire process. Yeah, it is, it is, Felix, but you have to understand that, you know, uh, that's the only thing we were, we're doing, you know, that mm-hmm. Sabine and I, we don't have a dead job. Um, you know, one kid is... Uh, uh, mean of revenue for for us and and you know for the kids and whatnot so for our family so so it's it's yeah it is a short period of time but it's not also like eight hours a day either it's it's a lot more than that right I see what you're saying there's like full on dedication towards creating this this redesign and launching this uh, now I'm I'm really interested in this partnership that you had with with WeSqueak. Can you tell talk to us a little bit more about how that was set up? How how you partnered up with a you know a successful e-commerce brand? So I think this is a great avenue for anyone that is that what that you know that uh, are in the shoes that you guys were in, which is that you had a lot of experience selling offline, but now want to transition online. Maybe the best approach is to partner up with someone that already has partner up with a brand that already has experience selling through e-commerce. So tell us about this this, part, this partnership and how it was set up. Well, um, Susan Bradley, she owns WeSqueak. And it, it, she has she's running this uh, business very successfully on Shopify. And that's part of what she teaches in her in through the Social Sales Girls, which is her other company, where, she, where she's basically teaching uh, her tools and method, how she's driving the traffic and sales to her site. So since we were in her reven, uh, reven, uh, reliable revenue online course, we basically got to know her, we talked to her, we talked to her over the phone, and then um, she said, she offered actually to us, why I don't do uh, a partner event with you guys, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post your, your jackets on, uh, on my Facebook site and boost it out. And let's see what's happening. So, so we're going to get some traffic on, on our side because we had no traffic. We had no traffic, Felix. We, we started out with on Facebook with 45 likes. Mm. And today we have over 18,000 likes. Wow. And, and your, the video too, right? The video that you guys put out, I think I read that it had now, has now f- f- over 5 million views. Yeah, 5.4 million views. That's amazing. What do you think contributed to to that kind of success? I mean, 5.4 million views on on that that demonstrates the value of a product is very life changing for a business. What do you think was it, what what did you think you guys did right to kick off this kind of virality? Honestly, Felix, I mean, the 5.4 million views, most of it is, is is organic. I think that video took on a life by itself. Because I mean, Eric, myself, we had n- we had really no clue what to expect. 
we we put it online on on July 22nd, and a month later it was like uh, it was multiplying daily the views. Yeah, I, I think that you know a thing which has happened with that video is that um, like like we mentioned before, I think a lot of parents and um, uh, and, and grandparents. Um, are not really, we're not, or they're still not aware, a lot of them, um, of the danger of wearing a puffy jacket while in the car seat. So, you know, wh what they do is, uh, you know, you take the kid and you take the, 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 the jacket out and you put the kid in the car seat and then you put the jacket on top, like as a blanket, but it's not really. So, you know, I, I think that uh, the fact that we were able to bring a solution to a common problem. Um, really made that video uh, sort of viral. You know, we mm -hmm. have, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of shares, a lot of, every day we had a lot of comments. Um, that's another thing we spend a lot of time on and we still spend a lot of time on answering all all the uh, the, uh, the, the queries, comments. the comments that comes from that video. Um, but I think the reason why it, it became so successful is because basically we came and we presented a, a Solution. A solution to a problem that a lot of people had with the, with their kids when they're in the car seats. Right. Okay. So, what was this? Was this video posted on? Was it on Facebook? On YouTube? Like, where were you guys uh, hosting the, this video? On Facebook. It's, gotcha. it's on Facebook. It's also on. We have a YouTube channel too, and we, it's also posted on our website. But. It's 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 the, the views are coming from from the Facebook. Gotcha. Now, were you guys uh, boosting this video? Did you throw any ad dollars towards uh, getting this video viewed? Yes, yes. We we boosted the video. We created ad sets around it. Um, we had like uh, twenty different targets. I was gonna say now, when you say that you created assets around the video, can you say more about this? What do you mean by that? No, uh, advertising sets. You know? Okay, so ad we, sets, gotcha. Ad set, yeah. In, the, in these ad sets, you were targeting different uh, demographics? Different demographics, yes, definitely. Gotcha. Now, when you are running a, a, a video ad and trying to drive traffic to it, do you approach it differently than if you were running an ad to just drive traffic to your to your site? Yes, we do because, I mean, the, um, the, the, the video... Because we had no traffic on our side, we had no no traffic on 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 the Facebook side. So we need to we we need to we basically started out with cold targets, and that's um, that's how we target that video. So just and and with a lot of uh, demographics stacked in there too. Yeah, yeah. Basically, but, but, basically when we started yeah. doing the, the 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 advertising for for the video off our, our Facebook page, um, you know, we we beside the fact that we're looking at parents. We didn't know which target would work for us and, and which one would not. So, you know, beside um, the gender target, uh, female and parents and people uh, living maybe in big cities or rurals, we also targeted um, how competition or, you mm -hmm. know, we targeted some retail stores like Bye Bye Baby. We targeted some people uh, looking for car, car seats. seats yeah. So <clears throat> there was a lot of shots in the dark. Um, a lot of them didn't bring the result we were expecting, but fortunately enough, uh, a few of them did brought back uh, some some um, like major leads and 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 and, and sales. Mm -hmm. Now, I think this is a great approach that you had so many different ad sets early on to test it all out. Do you remember how much you were putting behind each uh, each ad set, each each I guess target? Uh, Two dollars per day. 
Oh, wow. So even with $2 per day, you're able to understand which ones were more successful than others. Yes, that's because what, what Susan Bradley was teaching us, because she also teached us how to, uh, how to read the results on Facebook. Gotcha. Now, when you are running these uh, these video ads and you're trying all these different ad sets, were you t- changing the copy, changing any of the, I guess with video, you don't really, you can't really change any images, but were you changing the copy around it, the text that you put in the, the ad itself, or were you strictly just changing the, the, targeting, uh, the targeting options? Just changing the targeting options, definitely. I mean, um, in the beginning, we basically, we didn't target it like uh, different incomes, but, but then we, we target different incomes because the price point of, of the code is, is a higher price point. So then we target different income levels. We targeted also uh, cold weather states instead of the warm weather states. Nice. So when you were, you let this run uh, for, for a bit, then once you recognized what was winning and what was doing well, what wasn't doing well, then you started refining your targeting from there, like what was the, I guess, testing process behind uh, this this video ad? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, uh, <coughs> uh, how how many um, likes we got, how how many hits we got on on the website. <coughs> yeah, like, and like also so- how many sales we got because we, we generate we, we are generating sales from this video and we're still running this video today and we we're still running um, advertising sets on this video. Gotcha. Okay, cool. So now that you've been able to generate these, um, this, this essentially viral video and have kind of much more experience in e-commerce, can you give us an idea of how successful the business has been now that you've made the transition into into uh, focusing selling online? Sure, of course. Um, we um, we have been selling a lot of, of those word codes. Um, uh, we, we were fortunate enough to have a little bit of inventory at the beginning when we launched the uh, product. So we were good for a period of time, but then we sh- soon after that we were like sold out. So we did a lot of pre-order, and it didn't seem to be um, <clears throat> a problem for our customers. They were willing to, um, you know, buy the product on pre-order, and we would ship it. Um, what do you say, Sabine? Like uh, three weeks later or something? Yeah, like four, four weeks. Four weeks later. Yeah. <clears throat> so that helped us in in different ways because, first of all, uh, from a cash flow standpoint, that was that's that was a great. Uh, a way for us to run the business, and um, and secondly, uh, it, it didn't it didn't seem like people were too much worried about uh, not getting the product. I think maybe some of them knew already about the company, about one kid. Um, so so we we sold a little bit over two thousand pieces since we launched in July. It's quite a quite a lot. Of, uh, wow! So this you sold two thousand uh, products or inventory. Pretty much just off of the back of this video that you guys created. Yes, pretty yes, much. Yeah, pretty yeah. pretty much yeah. of this video. I mean, with, with the video, we did also then a, we did the official launch of the road code, we, which we did a giveaway and an early access event where for list building. So that's what what we did too. But the video is driving really the tra- most of the traffic to the website. Awesome. So thanks so much for your time, Eric and Sabine. So what do you guys want to focus on on in this year now that you have this experience in e-commerce, have had success, figured out, you know, it's amazing that you were only a year in e-commerce and already had have a viral video out there. I think that's a, a great accomplishment in itself. What do you guys want to focus on in the in this year? Well, we, we've learned a lot. We listen a lot from our customer, from people which are following us on Facebook. Uh, we take to heart the comments we're getting 
Um, <clears throat> so we we're gonna create some new product um, um, uh, around the road code, um, which are addressing some of the concern that people had. Um, like you know the, the the current product we have is a down product. Um, so a lot of not you know some kids are allergic to down. So we we're gonna bring. A, a polyfill, um, um, synthetic, filler. synthetic fillers into the market, um, <clears throat> which will enable the product to be also a little bit less expensive because done is 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 quite pricely. So we are bringing the um, synthetic synthetic filling uh, into the market uh, with a lower price point. That's what we're concentrating on. Mm-hmm. We also, um, you know, bring the 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 road coat into different uh, shapes. We're going to be launching a long coat. Uh, we, we had a lot of people asking us for like a longer product, like a longer coat. Um, <clears throat> and then um, we're going to be launching also a, a, a bomber style uh, um, road coat, uh, which is going to be uh, like we're going to launch all of those products in uh, August of this year. Very cool. Thanks again so much for your time, Eric and Sabine. OneKid.com again is a website, O-N-E-K-I-D.com. Anywhere else that you recommend the listeners go and check out if they want to follow along with your story, follow along with what you guys are up to? Yeah, I mean, they can follow us on uh, Facebook and uh, Instagram. In- Instagram, and uh, we have a chat uh, on, on, uh, on our website. So if anybody wants to get in touch with us, they're welcome. Very cool. And definitely check out that that video that you guys created just to get a better understanding of how to create a video to educate your customers on a problem that they might not know that they have. I think that's uh, going to be a great example for anyone out there that is in that situation. Again, thanks again so much for your time, guys. You're welcome. Thank you, Felix. Thanks for having us. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. Fit, form, and function are really the key elements that I see many companies miss. You know, they'll focus on a design that looks amazing, but doesn't perform like you want. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.